And Father, as we come to the preaching and hearing of your word, we seek your help. We acknowledge the weakness and frailty of our bodies and minds, how easily we are distracted. Yet we confess that it is your word we are about to hear. So strengthen us in body and mind. Grant us attentiveness, deliverance from distraction, the enlightening work of your spirit that you may teach us, that you may inspire us, that you may impel us in your ways, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we begin a short series of study in the book of the prophet Jonah. You may may be thinking to yourselves, well, why did he pick Jonah? Well, Jonah's scripture, isn't it? And uh, it's part of that book which we are assured is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, uh, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this is scripture and we come to it expecting a blessing. There's something here for every one of us. Secondly, having finished with the parables of Jesus that are found only in Luke's Gospel, after prayer, it it seemed to me that Jonah was where we should go, what the Lord would have us to study together, and especially as we celebrate the 150th anniversary of this congregation. Uh, And you'll see perhaps why we think about the ministry, our ministry to the world. And thirdly, and following on from this, uh, Jonah is a corrective for the I'm all right, Jack, mentality that easily afflicts each one of us, both as individuals and as congregations. Studying Jonah will help us to share in God's compassion for outsiders and it will open up a way for him to bless us even more richly than he has already. This book of Jonah, it's unique among the prophets because it's not a message by a prophet, but it's a story about a prophet. And when I say a story, I'm not meaning a work of fiction. Uh, This is not a once upon a time thing, but it's a real history. I mean by story, a true story of what really happened. Uh, Skeptics scoff at uh, Jonah and his adventures with the whale or the great fish, the sea monster. And uh, they call this book by all sorts of names, uh, fable, fairy tale, fiction, anything except real history. But it's my conviction that if we take the Bible as a whole seriously, we must take this as a work of history, as a true account of what actually happened to a disobedient prophet of the Lord. The first reason we should take this book seriously as a work of history is that Jonah appears elsewhere in the Old Testament as a real prophet. Uh, We're dealing with a real man of God here. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 23, we read, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. Verse 25, he restored the border of Israel from Libah Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, 
who was from Gath Hefer. A second and even more compelling reason why we should accept this book as a true story is that Jesus himself affirms its truthfulness. In fact, he does more than affirm its truthfulness. He teaches that the very part of Jonah's story, which the scoffers scoff and refuse to believe, is a sign of his own death, burial and resurrection. We read in Matthew 12, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Of course, if you don't believe in miracles, if you don't believe that God is a God who intervenes in in the real world, in space, time and history, then you nothing will convince you that Jonah is true, not even the testimony of Jesus. And if you won't believe in miracles, then you won't believe, of course, that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you won't believe that, then you will perish in your sins. For the salvation that God gives is for those who will, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 10 and verse 9, believe in their hearts that God raised him, that is, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. But if you will read the Scriptures with an open heart, an open mind, you will be impressed by their self-evident truthfulness, so different from the fanciful imaginings of tall stories and legends. Now a word about miracles. We need to be careful with the miraculous. We shouldn't believe every miracle story or that every miracle is from God. Moses said in Deuteronomy 13, Uh, verses 1 to 4, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. You see, there are miracles that are not from God. Jesus said, uh, Matthew 24 and verse 24, that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, even God's own people. So even if a miracle is true, It's not necessarily from God. To be from God, the teaching that comes with the miracle must be consistent with the whole teaching of the Bible. And we also must take into account that the miracles of the Bible, the miracles that God has given, are always part of his salvation work, his salvation history. It's true of Jonah, and it's true of the Gospels, and it's true of the miracles that were wrought by the Apostles, in the early church, 
These are part of God's bringing his salvation into the world, not just miracles for the sake of miracles. Well, this brings us to the who and why questions. Uh, Who wrote this little book of Jonah and why was it written? Well, the most likely guess is that Jonah himself wrote it. Much of the story could have only come from him. Either he wrote it himself or he told someone else. Uh, Unless God revealed to someone else apart from Jonah what had happened, only Jonah knew what happened. More importantly, it belongs to this collection of books that we call Holy Scripture, which were written under the impulse of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, it's God who is the author of this little book of Jonah. Apostle Peter says in his second letter, chapter 1 and verse 21, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So whoever was the human author, the penman of this book, uh, it comes to us from God. He wrote it, and it's his word to us. At one level, it simply tells the story of what God did to Jonah when Jonah disobeyed him and what God did through Jonah when afterwards he did obey. Why was it written? And what is its message for us? I think it's significant that the mission of Jonah is unique in the Old Testament. There are many records in the writings of the prophets where God told them to prophesy against Gentile nations and peoples and to record these prophecies in their writings. But only Jonah was sent to preach to Gentiles. And we know that Jonah refused to go. And he ran away from the Lord and got himself into all sorts of trouble. And it's only when we get to the very end of the book that we find out why he ran away, why he didn't want to go and preach judgment against Nineveh. And it wasn't because he was afraid. And it wasn't because he was lazy. The amazing thing is that it it was because he knew about God. He knew that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he didn't want God to be gracious and compassionate to the people of Nineveh. It's shocking, isn't it? But in chapter 3, verse 10, uh, through verse 3 of chapter 4, when God saw what they did, that is the people of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Why was Jonah so afraid that God would have mercy on the people of Nineveh that he would risk disobeying him. Why was he so angry when God did not send the threatened calamity upon them? 
Some have said that he was afraid he would be called a false prophet because one of the marks of a true prophet was that his predictions must always come true. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. However, it's clear from Jonah's fear of the likely consequences if if he obeyed God and did what God told him to do, that is go and preach repentance and judgment to the people of Nineveh, that they would repent and that God would not destroy them. It's clear that Jonah understood from these things that the threatenings of God are always conditional. Jonah knew that if God threatens judgment and we repent, then he will relent. But if we do not repent, then he will bring upon us the judgment that he has threatened. And so he tried to make the outcome certain by refusing to preach to them so that they wouldn't hear the message of judgment and therefore they wouldn't be able to repent. And so fear of being thought a false prophet doesn't seem to be the reason. Others have said that Jonah was afraid that God might spare Nineveh and he was angry because God did spare Nineveh and its people because he knew that Nineveh and its people were to be God's instruments of judgment upon Israel. T. Desmond Alexander in the Tyndale Old Testament commentaries says, this explains Jonah's antipathy to Nineveh. He perceives the eventual outcome of his mission and passionately feels that he cannot be party to something which would ultimately mean the destruction of his own nation. How can God possibly pardon these pagan Ninevites and then have them destroy Israel? For Jonah, God's action is incomprehensible, and so initially he seeks to evade his calling. Now it may be that Jonah did anticipate what God would do to Israel by the Assyrians. However, it's not in the text. There's nothing in the book of Jonah to indicate that this is so. And so while it's possible, I hesitate to accept it as the answer to these questions. Rather, it seems to me likely, highly likely, that the answer is that Jonah and Israel with him had forgotten that God's mercy was not confined to Israel. True, they knew that God had chosen Abraham and promised him that he would bring his descendants into a special relationship and himself. But they'd forgotten that God had intended that this special relationship should be a a bridge, a channel, a means whereby God's mercy should outflow to the nations, the whole world. God said to Abraham, Genesis 12 and verses 1 to 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonours you I will curse, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. See, in better times... Israel had remembered this. They knew the purpose that God had chosen, for which God had chosen them. Psalmist prays in Psalm 67, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us 
that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. They understood that God's choice of Abraham, his choice of Israel, was a missionary choice. But in Jonah's time, God was about to use these Gentile nations, and particularly Assyria, as his instruments of judgment upon the people of Israel on account of their rebellion against him. And there was a very real danger that they would lose sight of the fact that God had chosen them not to be, as it were, a dead sea, a place where all the water runs in and stops there, but a channel of blessing to the Gentiles and come to regard the Gentile nations as nothing more than their sworn enemies, as hopelessly outside of the love and grace and compassion of God. In fact, this is what did happen. The Jews became hostile, bitterly hostile to any suggestion that God's love might be for the Gentiles. For example, in Acts chapter 22, we find the Apostle Paul giving his testimony to his conversion testimony. And uh, Luke tells us that the crowd, which had been trying to kill him, uh, listened to him carefully. Uh, They thought he had brought Gentiles into the temple and that was why they were trying to kill him. And they listened to his explanation until he got to the point where he told them that the Lord had said to him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And when they heard this, They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Friends, it wasn't only the unbelieving Jews who refused to believe that God's mercy might be for the Gentiles. Even the apostles of Jesus had trouble with the idea. Jesus told them that they should be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I've been already thinking about this morning. Before Peter would go and preach the gospel to a Romans, God had to give him a vision, shake him out of his false ways of thinking. God had to teach him that he should not call any man common or unclean. So that when Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, sent for him to come and preach the gospel to his household, He came, as he says, without objection and he preached the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus for Gentiles, not just Jews. And uh, those who heard his message uh, as they were listening, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon the others on the day of Pentecost and the Uh, Luke, the scripture in verse 45 says, the believers from among the circumcised who had come with people, uh, who had come with Peter rather, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. It was unthinkable, but God did it. And this is not the end of it. Later when Peter returned to Jerusalem in chapter 11 of Acts, uh, we read that the circumcision party that is, Christian Jews who believed that only Gentiles who became Jews could be saved, criticised Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Unthinkable for a Jew to go and eat 
with Gentiles. It was defiling, so they thought. And it was only after Peter had told them the whole story and how an angel had told Cornelius to send for him, telling him that he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved and how the Holy Spirit had come upon them while he was preaching and how this is how the Lord said it would be. Verse 16 of chapter 11 of Acts, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And how this had left him with no choice. God had acted. He couldn't do anything else. Then he says, if God gave this same gift, the Holy Spirit, to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? And it was only after all this that those of the circumcision party fell silent. The scripture says they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So what is the message of the book of Jonah? Well, I believe it would be wrong to say that the book of Jonah has got one message. It's a wonderfully rich book about a wonderful God who is Lord of creation and sovereign over his messengers and marvellous in his mercy and grace to sinners of every nation. But I believe its main message is a rebuke to all the barriers and prejudices of our hearts that would confine and contain God's mercy to us, perhaps, and others like us, and an encouragement for us to share the gospel of God's great love that reaches out to every tribe and nation and tongue. In our world, the great division is no longer between Jew and Gentile. But being what we are, sinners, we we easily create barriers of our own making. We too easily forget that God's compassion is for all and that his expectation of us is that we should share in that compassion. His compassion especially for those who are outsiders, God sent Jonah to preach against Nineveh. He's given all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus. And he has told us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And these days immigration has brought the nations to us. They're not a long way overseas, they're right next door. Moreover, the people of our own nation who once were well instructed in the love of God and his gospel, are by and large as ignorant of God and his ways and his truth as the people of ancient never ever were. There's a mission field right at our door. And God's saying to us, I'm a God of compassion. I have compassion on these people. Share in my compassion. We are Well, we ought to be horrified to think of Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, a man of God, sitting outside Nineveh, raging against God because his fire had not fallen upon its children. 120,000 children. And this prophet is raging against God because God has not blotted them out. Are we any better than Jonah? if we do not care enough about 
those who are perishing next door to us to pray for them, that they might hear the gospel and be converted, to pray for ourselves, that God would show us how we might bring that message to them and might just make disciples of them and help us to do it. Indeed, I think if we are honest with ourselves, we must admit that if we do not care for them, then we are worse than Jonah because we know much more about God than Jonah did, much more about the love of God, much more about his purposes. And we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Uh, we may be safe and we may be uh, may be safe and we may be forgiven and we may find ourselves in heaven by the grace of God but how will we ever forgive ourselves if we don't share in his love and do what we can to bring it to outsiders that's the message of the book of Jonah may God bless us in it let's pray we worship you our God is a God who doesn't think like we do, whose ways are not our ways, a God whose compassion reaches to the ends of the earth, a God who loves those who are in our sight unlovely and unlovable. We stand, we condemn Jonah, who would not go, who would not share in your compassion. We confess that too often we're too comfortable Too often we're content that we're okay. Too often we forget that others are without God and without hope. So help us, we pray. Help us to share in your compassion. Help us to be seeking opportunities to speak a word for Jesus. Grant us fruit for our labours and blessing in your service as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.